host, Alex Garrett. Well, this is a podcast I've mean to talk about for a little bit now because we've been sending aid, we've been sending a lot of support, and maybe we should be sending more to Ukraine, but my next guest has an actual, actual day this Thursday to say thank you, Ukraine. His name is Godfrey Harris, and uh, he's on my line right now. He served as a U.S. foreign officer in uh, London as well as here in Washington. He's been part of LBJ, Lyndon B. Johnson's executive office. Uh, He has been in this sphere of national security and national politics for quite a while, and I'm honored to have you join me today, Godfrey. Well, it's very kind of you. Thank you so much. I just uh, thought that... uh democracy, which is such a fragile form of governance, uh, is having such a strong supporter in Ukraine that Americans, who have the oldest continuous operating democracy in the history of the world, ought to be able to say thank you, Ukraine, for uh, uh, supporting democracy so strongly. Well, and your love of democracy obviously is here, but uh, I want to know, as we're facing a democracy issue here, what can the Ukrainian fight uh, inspire us to do better in America also? Because the Ukrainians are Because sure. uh, the Ukrainians... Say the, ask the question again. Sure. So the Ukrainians are putting up quite a fight to preserve their democracy. And here in America, there's a feeling that democracy is kind of... Uh, fading away. So is there some inspiration we could take from over there to reinstill a sense of democracy here, I guess is my question. I'm not sure. I think uh, each country has to uh, understand the alternatives. And that's not something that I think Americans have faced, uh, certainly haven't faced it in 70 years. Uh, The elements that we were... um, that were so important to the uh, founding of democratic attitudes in this country have faded. Uh, One example would be that uh, the military draft, uh, which was an institution in this country until it was ended for political reasons by Richard Nixon, and the the sense of loss... um, of uh, the military duty, what it means, what it conveys to individuals, uh, I think is one of the elements uh, that we've lost. The, the Army, Navy, and Air Force became a great civilizing factor in American life. And we've lost that. We tried to replace it with McDonald's as an, uh, as another institution that would take young kids and say, you got to wash your hands, you got to have clean fingernails, you got to learn how to smile and be polite and listen and speak to the customers. All the elements that go into a democracy um, ha- have faded. So Americans have to. Uh, find that the Ukrainians are learning that the alternative to the democracy they have, as corrupt as their government has historically been, 
uh, it still seems to them a stronger uh, alternative than um, coming under the Russian umbrella. Absolutely. All right. Uh, you say you want to say you want to do thank you Ukraine Thursday. So let me ask you: Have we done enough to say thank you and and we're there for you? Thank you for fighting against Russia. I, I feel like they want more than a thank you, though. They want us to help them more, do they not? They do, and uh, I think one of the things that would put some backbone into the Biden administration to do things that are important for the West to show the West and to show Ukraine would come from support from the people. At the moment, all we get on the news, all we get out of Washington is what can we do to ameliorate the price of gasoline? Like we are suffering in some way equal to some of the suffering that we see on television experienced by the Ukrainians. So I have suggested a petrol pause on Thursday, March 31st. It's a day when I hope all Americans will forego getting gasoline for their cars if they're driving a gasoline-powered vehicle. Um, Not for their commercial activities, but just for their personal cars. Fill up the day before if you forget, if you don't have time then uh, do with what you have in the tank on Thursday. Why a petrol pause on March 31st? It would be a signal to the Biden administration because the statistics would be so clear that the American people want to see more support for Ukraine than America is giving. It's not enough to give money. It's not enough to pour in certain weapons. It's much more to uh, facilitate uh, what the Ukrainians have asked for. 30 days plus for the Pentagon to decide how to uh, transfer the MiG-31s, the United States controls, or the MiGs that the Polish government has offered is unconscionable. It means the U.S. doesn't really want to transfer those weapons. Why? They're afraid of Mr. Putin's reaction. And I'm saying that the United States needs to lead rather than react in this current situation. Okay, why a petrol pause? Because as I see it, the only people to uh, benefit from the current war in Ukraine are the petroleum producers. After this war ends, and inevitably it will end, it won't be the Russians, they will have an economy to repair. It won't be the Ukrainians, they will have a country to repair. Well, and it won't be the United States because it will have a huge uh, amount of munitions we've transferred to replace. The, the only entity that I see that will benefit greatly from this war are the petroleum producers. Why? Because on February 23rd, the day before the war started, the cost of producing a barrel of oil is exactly the same as it is on the 29th of March. It hasn't altered a penny, yet the price 
per barrel or the price per gasoline has zoomed. So that enormous profit, about $280 million a day, are passing to the petroleum producers. And uh, I think if we were to take a petroleum pause on Thursday, we would... uh, limit some of that excess profit and we would pass a signal to our own government and we would tell the Ukrainians we thank you for defending democracy so valiantly. Well, oh my goodness, so much there and I I hope that people do this pause, but I've got to ask you because you are in academia, you are a professor at Rutgers and UCLA, so let's talk about the collegiate and the professorial uh, angle of this. Do you think that these professors today are advocating what you are? I feel like you're calling out the Biden administration, whereas academia doesn't want to call out, you know, members of the Democratic Party, maybe even Biden. Would you agree with that? And do you find that you're taking a different stand than maybe those in academia would uh, through all of this? Well, I wouldn't put it uh, to academia. I think you have a Democratic Party that is split between the progressives on the left, which are making no progress whatsoever, and a more uh, more conservative group in the middle, which continues to control the Democratic Party. And I think that until the Democratic Party can uh, demonstrate to Mr. Biden and his closest advisors that we would like to see more, we would like to see less concern for election prospects in November and more of a worldview as to what position the United States should maintain in a world fraught with danger, I think he would come out better. I think the Democratic Party would come out better. And I think the Republican Party uh, would make its own adjustments to a public that I think is close to 65 to 70 percent in favor of doing more uh, to punish Mr. Putin for his, uh, for his action against Ukraine. Do you think Mr. The problem, the, one of the problem, one of the problems is that you and I are not going to solve, and academia hasn't a chance. Is that uh, the Biden family has been tainted by Mr. Trump for their activities in Ukraine long before this war broke out, before anybody in the United States knew any city in Ukraine other than Kiev. Uh, the Bidens were heavily involved in Ukrainian economy and Ukrainian uh, defense. He got a prosecutor and fired I over there. I believe that President. that particular uh, connection, way back in 2015, 2016, has tainted Mr. Biden's uh, abilities in the current situation. It shouldn't. He should be representing the United States. He should not be representing uh, whatever political uh, uh, tales will flow from his previous or his son's previous activities. I have to ask you, because obviously we're in a time of tumult, and let's be honest, the years of President Johnson had tumultuous 
times with the Vietnam War. Now, were you in his administration during that period of the presidency? And yes. did he make better decisions? Everybody says he wouldn't. But did he make any better decisions than Biden has? Can you compare the two? Or are they not comparable? Can you? What experience did you gain in there while that Vietnam War was going on to analyze this from the White House perspective even? Um, first of all, Johnson engineered America getting deeply involved in Vietnam. And that was the Bay of Tonkin. It's uh, historically... Uh, questionable as to whether the Vietnamese, North Vietnamese, actually attacked our destroyer or whether we announced the destroyer had been attacked and therefore we were taking great umbrance and pouring in troops and munitions to punish them for what we said they did, which they always said they never did, and which history seems to be on the side of the Vietnamese. Um uh, Johnson totally misread uh, Vietnam primarily by hiring the wrong generals. I think the United States started going off the track in Vietnam when the uh, people promoted to the top positions in Vietnam were those who had a clean record coming up. It meant that we didn't have one general who had taken a chance, who had taken a risk. They stayed hunker down in the middle, let someone else make the decisions above them, and let someone else below take the responsibility for implementing any decision. And those guys that rose readily through the ranks were the ones with the cleanest record. Any blob on the record, any movement aside from the chosen path, you wouldn't get promoted. So the only people to get promoted, and therefore were in general officer positions at the time that uh, uh, Johnson was selecting his officer corps, general leadership in Vietnam, were all guys that were absolutely vanilla, bland. We didn't have an Eisenhower, a McCarthy, a patent in the entire lot that ran the military in 1975. We still suffer from the same difficult position. Guys whose only interest coming from West Point is to keep their records clean, not to take any chances, nothing to upset the record that will get them promoted to generalship. If you look at the uh, hearings of Justice or Judge Jackson, soon to be Justice Jackson. You see the same thing. Any effort to be different, to find a solution to a judicial problem that's outside the bland vanilla, uh, which allows for political uh, pressure, uh, is now verboten. The signals being sent to the American electorate and to the young kids coming up in politics and the judiciary uh, are such that 
Don't take a chance. Don't be different. Don't offer anything on the outside of the fringes because you will be ridiculed and uh, diminished and therefore you don't have any chance. So we have a leadership core in the United States that is totally imaginless. I think that's part of the problem we have in uh, Ukraine today. Mr. Biden is surrounded by people who have been with him since 2008. One of those guys, whether it's Sullivan or Blinken or Saki or any of them in the upper ranks of the White House, are people who got to where they got by being staff officers. They haven't run anything. They've advised Mr. Biden while he was vice president and then while he was in his interregnum. And but they are now charged with running something, and I think it's way beyond their capacity. I think Mr. Biden has an inability to go outside his comfort zone, and that's why we are where we are. And that's why I hope the American people will stand up and help and take a petrol pause on Thursday, say to the Ukrainians, this is what we can do in an active sense, not talk about it, not mum chum about the high price of gasoline, not worry about uh, Chris Rock and uh, Will Smith slapping each other around the uh, Oscar ceremony. Sure. These are not the things that are moving the world. These aren't the things that will be remembered 20 years from now. The things that will be remembered 20 years from now, if the American government, and I thank you for bringing this to your podcast listeners, if the American people stand up and say America needs to do more, America is greater than we have shown up to now. America can cut off the Russian government when it needs to. Well, let me and ask you about, do it. Let me ask you about that because obviously there's a lot of questions. Did he want a regime change? Did he hint a regime change, or was he just? kind of mumbling on and, and and I mean he was a pretty it was a pretty forceful statement but people thought it was advocating a regime change and of course Biden's walking it back but when he says my god this man cannot remain in power what was your reaction and was that the smartest thing to say did you feel he was advocating a regime change right then and there in Poland without question and even his walk back yesterday advocated the same thing he wants a different government in Russia. Okay, he's hoping the Russian people will get the message. But we have not been forceful. Have we flown one uh, sortie of messages? I recommended uh, through the Los Angeles Times, but it was ignored because I don't think they knew what I was talking about. But the Russians own an enclave um, northern end of Germany, southern end of Poland, called Konigsgrad. It's a Russian-speaking area, about 300, uh, about 3 million people, that was awarded to the Soviet Union. It was to be their uh, outlet to Europe, their port that allowed them to export goods uh, from the Soviet Union through a warm water port. Um, which they didn't have at that time. Uh, 
uh, I said we ought to blockade Konigsberg. Let Mr. Putin have something to worry about. Let the people of Russia see that the West means business. We have a number of friends. My wife has a charity which supports uh, Russian families. And what we're getting uh, by email, by telephone from our friends in Russia is that uh, uh, the Russians are doing a good thing in uh, stopping the Nazis from taking over Ukraine. They have no alternative information. The only thing they uh, are getting are uh, the few people that are coming back from Ukraine uh, to Russia to tell them, hey, there's a different story out there, and uh, you guys need to pay attention to it. Godfrey, uh, you are also, I mean, you you have taught, but now you've moved on to that president as president of Harris Reagan Management. So let's let's focus on your group for a minute because you're taking all these ideas and you have this idea of thank you Thursday. Thank you, Ukraine Thursday. How is Harris Reagan Management? How are you guys supporting uh, Ukraine as a company, as a group of the Harris Reagan Management Group? Uh, well, as you can imagine, uh, had Bill Gates had the idea of a petrol pause and a thank you Ukraine Thursday, he would have had 25 million to throw at full page ads in the Washington Post, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, L.A. Times, etc. We don't have those kind of resources, but in order to promote, to get word out of um uh, thank you, Ukraine Thursday and the petrol pause. Uh, we have put quite a bit of money and do not expect to see any compensation back for it. So we've put our money where our mouth is, is the best way I can put it. But um, uh, the uh, organization that uh, I'm co-president of, which is the Citizens Semi-Consentennial Council, a group devoted to bringing attention to the 250th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence in 2026, uh, is what I hope would be the ultimate beneficiary of this effort on our part. We are the oldest uh, democracy in the history of the world, uh, as I said at the outset, and we would like to keep it that way. A number of us who worked on the bicentennial in 1976 are still around and are still anxious that America understand what it means to protect, preserve, and perpetuate a democracy over 250 years. It's a, it's a tick on the clock of humanity on Earth, a tick. But it still is the longest amount of time a government has peacefully transferred every four years from one uh, uh, group to another uh, through the exercise of a public vote. Mm. And it's a simple thing. But given the riot on January 6, 2021 at the Capitol, it is a very difficult thing to hold on to. 
Well, and we're seeing a lot of that happen with the the texts. With the well, let me ask you this: Is there a connection between what's happening in Russia to what happened on January sixth? In the sense of, was Putin emboldened by what he saw here? Well, he saw um, he saw weakness on the part of the American government. He still says that he, when um, uh, Minority Leader McCarthy in the House stood up and said uh, this was a normal democratic, uh, not an insurrection, but just a protest uh, on the way the votes were counted in uh, 2020, he saw the American uh, experiment collapsing. And I think he miscalculated but the American, he miscalculated on Ukraine. Um, yes, he did. <laughs> we are still waiting for the miscalculation on the U.S. All we hear is about the, the sanctions. Well, we've had sanctions for a month, and we haven't seen the collapse of the Russians. We still see half of Europe still buying gas and oil. We hear about a transfer of uh, liquid natural gas from the United States to Europe. We never get dates. We never get statements from. We have the worst press in the world now. Our press is totally dependent on government press releases, on news conferences. We don't have uh, but a handful of independent reporters trying to sneak out. Did anybody go talk to anybody in the uh, liquid natural gas field to say, are you guys prepared for this? Can you transfer? Will it make a difference? Where will you land it? Can the Europeans handle it? We didn't get any of that. Godfrey, I'm, I'm so glad. Godfrey, I'm so glad you're, you're talking like this because I tell you what, on this podcast, I feel like I brought the most fiery defender of Ukraine on this podcast. I feel like you are the most fiery defender of Ukraine and fiery advocate that we should do something. No one else is talking like this, Godfrey. So thank you for bringing that to my podcast. I appreciate the time you've given me. I appreciate the patience of your audience to have listened to this. And I hope they, those who listen and hear will tell their friends, their relatives, and their contacts, please don't buy any gasoline on Thursday, March 31st. Put it well, off. Well, thank you, by the way. <laughs> Good. Well, no, I, okay, I don't know. Well, yeah, one more question, though, because I noticed you wrote 76 books. So I've got to ask, is the 76 in synergy with 1776? I feel like there's a connection there, especially because you're on the bicentennial and now you're on the 250th anniversary. There's got to be a synergy. No, there. absolutely none. I've got another book that I very much want to finish. It's about halfway done. Um, I wrote a book uh, a few years ago, uh, which tried to bring conservation uh, concepts to uh, younger adults. Uh, It was called uh, Credit the Crocodile. And the sequel to Credit the Crocodile is about a gray parrot who attacks Uh, the UN agency that is doing so much to counter sound conservation uh, policies in Africa. And I want to finish that book. uh, So it would be the 77th. 
And, oh, and I have another book coming out on uh, called uh, More West Side Stories. That'll be out in March. It's about West Los Angeles, so it will have very limited interest beyond uh, the locale here. Godfrey, I've got, while I have you, I want to ask you this, because a lot of people are comparing this time to 1968 and the whole protests outside the conventions, and I've got to say... There was so much fire then. Where are the protests now? I mean, yes, we're seeing localized, but, I mean, there's not that national movement in support of Ukraine like we saw a movement to get out of Vietnam. And, and maybe you can weigh in on that moment. Are, are we sort of in that 1968 mode or not at all? Not at all. We've changed. Uh, remember, 1968 was motivated heavily by the draft uh, because you Young people will be pulled out of school, having their plans disrupted and put into the army, and the army sent them uh, to Vietnam, and their lives were in danger. And now we have an all-volunteer army. So we don't have the impetus that we had in 1968, um, and we, we don't have any skin in the game in Ukraine. We, 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 the only thing we have is saying, don't touch NATO. Oh, well, Ukraine isn't in NATO. So the poor American public is really not uh, uh, certain why we are not doing more to protect Ukrainian citizens from the bombardments they're experiencing at the hands of the Russian army. And uh, we could do a ton more. And as I said earlier, one of the things I would do is blockade Kronisberg on the uh, North Sea and give Mr. Putin something to worry about. Let him worry about getting supplies to Kronisberg or let the three million people who live there uh, suffer as a result. But these, there are a lot of subjects that need discussing. Absolutely. Uh, That's why I want to have you back. And, and by the way, keep me posted on the 250th anniversary uh, planning. I'd love to get you on to discuss as we go along. Perfect. Would love to. Thank you very much for the opportunity. I wish you the best of luck. I wish the best of luck to Ukraine as well. Thank you. Thank you, Ukraine Thursday is this week. And, uh, Godfrey, let's not lose touch. I'd love to have you back. I'm Alex Garrett, where we're always adapting and always trying to just bring bring some great voices and great analysis on. And, and Godfrey Harris, uh, no exception.